Thanks for tuning in to Charlottesville Soundboard. I'm your host, Mary Garner McGee. Soundboard airs every other Saturday at 6 a.m. on WTJU 91.1 FM and also comes to you as a podcast that belongs to the Virginia Audio Collective. We are only 32 days out from Election Day on November 3rd, so we reached out to Charlotte at Charlottesville tomorrow to get the rundown on voting during a pandemic. But first, we sit down with Anthony Guy Lopez. He's a UVA alum who's been advocating for indigenous rights in Charlottesville and across the country for over two decades. Recently, he was one of the organizers of the September 10th protest at the George Rogers Clark statue on UVA's campus at the corner. Our demands have been that they give land back to the tribes. The university owns very important lands that the Monacans once lived upon at the Morvan Farms, southeast of the university. My name is Anthony Guy Lopez. I co-founded an initiative at the University of Virginia of alumni and students and faculty who are part of the American Indian community or who have expertise in indigenous studies. I have a master's degree in anthropology and I'm a Crow Creek Sioux tribal member of a reservation in the middle of South Dakota called the Crow Creek Sioux Reservation. I live up near D.C., uh, where I work in the field of cultural and historic preservation for, for the federal government. How did you become involved in indigenous rights activism in Charlottesville? Before I ever came to Virginia or to Charlottesville, I worked as, a, as the coordinator of uh, campaigns for Native American tribes who were trying to protect places they considered to be significant in terms of their religion or culture the sacred places that they they held. So I I coordinated something called the Mount Graham Coalition, and I also coordinated the National Sacred Lands Protection Coalition. Mount Graham is um, a mountain in southeastern Arizona in the Coronado National Forest. The University of Virginia, I was informed that they were considering joining the Mount Graham International Observatory Partnership this was back in like 2001 or 2002. So um, I, was, I came here on behalf of the Western Apaches to meet with the university to try and convince them not to join the partnership. So that's how I first came to the university to attempt to organize a campaign for, on behalf of Native people that was unsuccessful, ultimately. We here in Charlottesville, at least nowadays, talk a lot about Jefferson's views on slavery But Thomas Jefferson also wrote extensively about indigenous people. Can you tell us a little bit about his views on native people? Uh, Yes, I can. He had kind of, you know, these hierarchies, like uh, evolutionary hierarchies, you know, in terms of like the development of human beings. So I think he placed Indians almost equal to the whites, but not quite. And, you know, that was the kind of scientific discussions that were common in those days. They had a whole system for classifying people that justified this kind of white supremacy and inequality that gave them some kind of divine right to rule. His views on Indians were, it was more sort of the epitome of the noble savage, which I think it has been pretty much adopted by the University of Virginia in its 
policies and practices since it was founded was that American Indians, although noble and intelligent and brave, uh, were doomed to to become extinct. And um, our only path for survival was assimilation. If we continued to resist, Jefferson's prescription for us was removal or ex- and or extermination. So there's plenty of quotes of him speaking like that, like even to like, say, George Rogers Clark, the, you know, the subject of the, the statue at the University of Virginia. Can you describe that statue of George Rogers Clark um, and then the one at the intersection of um, West Main and Ridge Street, Ridge McIntyre? Well, Charlottesville, you know, has become known for these statues, you know, that that were part of the city beautiful movement or also the um, lost cause movement. The philanthropist named McIntyre donated money to build four statues around Charlottesville. Two of them celebrate the Confederacy, but there's two others that focus on Native Americans and their uh, relations with the European settlers. So one of them shows Sacagawea cowering below Lewis and Clark, and um, that one's owned by the city of Charlottesville. And then the other is the George Rogers Clark statue, which shows um, George Rogers Clark, along with three soldiers, riding up in a very aggressive way. It looks like they're about to attack a family of Native Americans. Etched on the granite pedestal below the statue is George Rogers Clark is the conqueror of the Northwest. They basically created this trophy of conquest and gave it to the, awarded it to the city. And when they chose to celebrate that conquest, supposedly, in 1921, when they dedicated the statue, they did it to a lot of celebration and fanfare. So, like you mentioned, um, one of the demands of recent protests has been to remove the statue, and the university has agreed to do that. What were the other demands of recent protests? Our demands have been that they give land back to the tribes. The university owns very important lands that the Monacans once lived upon at the Morvan Farms southeast of the university, and also that they establish an indigenous studies center so that we can participate in the mission of the university. But we've we've never really been given... The status of being um, equal in the university, which would mean that we would have tenured faculty members, you know, who are like given a home, an academic and intellectual home at the university. And it's just astonishing that even institutions like Virginia Tech and William and Mary, they all have indigenous studies or Native American studies programs and faculty members and places where students can gather and they have recruitment of Native Americans outreach programs. The University of Virginia doesn't have any of that. Boards or committees at this university that give Native Americans and Indian tribes a voice at this institution. And we're, we're making progress, but we're, we still have a, a long way to go. Has, yeah. the, has the Board of Visitors or anyone at the university responded to 
the calls for the Indigenous Cultural Center or the tenured faculty or the recruitment, any of those other demands other than the statue? You know, that the way that it has been framed, it's something of concern to us. And we had a meeting today where we discussed it with one of the pro, associate provosts and the vice president for diversity. We've always said we want an Indigenous Studies Center established. We want the statue removed, but that in itself is not enough. If they choose just to remove the statue and do nothing else, it's just erasure. It's the only part of the university that's dedicated to Native Americans. So when the University of Virginia Board of Visitors voted to remove it, all they pledged to do is to remove it and then to engage in tribal consultation, not about a center, but they said they would engage the tribes to allow them to take part in the decision of where to relocate the statue. And so they basically what we're being told is that even though it's such a, a minimal way of expressing it, they're saying the university is committed to building something for American Indians and that we shouldn't worry about this. But we're, you know, we're, of course, we're still worried about it. And so we're, we're hoping to get others in the university now, administrators, to, I guess, to solidify what commitments they, you know, they're contemplating making. Just removing the statue and talking about where it would be relocated. I don't think the tribes will be that interested in working with an institution that they're, they would narrow our, our voice, like right from the outset. Could you introduce us a little bit to some of those stakeholders and indigenous leaders in the area? Um, you know, what are some of the groups advocating for indigenous justice locally in addition to yours? The two tribes that we have worked with and have gained their support for our initiatives are um, the Pamunkey tribe. Chief Robert Gray wrote a letter supporting uh, the establishment of an indigenous studies center and also supporting removal of the statue. And he sent that to the state of Virginia. And then the, the Monacan Indian tribe, they've supported our effort. We've attempted to get the university to, to address admission issues that they've experienced or that they have implemented, where they've basically disregarded the tribal membership of, of the applicants when they consider their admission. We lose the character of our identity when they, when they erase our tribal affiliation or membership. The Monacan tribe supported a statement that we, we wrote to the admissions uh, dean, and, and then we've been working with one of their council members on, on everything else. Thank you so much for giving us so much time. I really, really appreciate it. Is there anything else that you really want to talk about or that I should have asked you about? I think this, you know, what we're experiencing this year in our country, you know, it, it's so, it's a deeply profound and tragic set of circumstances. And I think it's brought brought forward a rising of consciousness. I think people are starting to really look at what is wrong with our society, what in our country, what is it that we we need to fix? 
If it hadn't been for George Floyd and other African Americans who were victimized by the, by our society, taken from us in such a uh, horrendous way, none of this would be happening now in Charlottesville. The, the Board of Visitors wouldn't have considered taking down, you know, the George Rogers Clark statue because it was something we asked for decades ago. When I first came to the university back in the early 2000s, the University of Virginia was unresponsive. And, you know, the response we're getting now, it's completely owed to all the people who, whose lives were taken unjustly and whose rights are continuing to be violated and all the people who care to, to, you know, to make a statement that that needs to stop. So I just want to acknowledge that. And so if people want to help or if students want to get involved, you know, in their own domain, in their own relationship, to be willing to stand up and take action wherever they're at and to make the choice to do something better, to, make, to, make, to bring something better to our society. I think if we all do that, I think we will we become better as a society. We can be a better country. We can have a better university that, that is inclusive and fair and, and just. Um, like um, President Ryan, you know, he, not just being great, but being, being good. I think that's, that's a, great, a great call from the president from, of the university. That we can be a, a good university, too. That was activist and UVA alum Anthony Guy Lopez. You're listening to Soundboard here on WTJU 91.1 FM and the Virginia Audio Collective. Both are a service of the University of Virginia. However, opinions expressed on this show are not the positions of the university. WTJU supported by the Southern Environmental Law Center. During these challenging times, the Southern Environmental Law Center is remaining strong and resolute in protecting the fundamental right to clean air and clean water and a healthy environment for all. In our next segment, we go over everything you need to know about voting in 2020. Well, it's October 2nd, and there are only 32 days until Election Day. And unlike in other years, voting is already well underway as people are voting by mail and voting early to try to avoid crowds at the polls and the threat of COVID-19. So it's time to check in with the resident elections expert at Charlottesville tomorrow. Thanks so much for joining us virtually, Charlotte. Um, let's start with how to vote, and then we'll get into what people can expect to see on their ballots. Can you kind of walk us through the four main ways you can vote in Charlottesville and Albemarle in 2020? Yes, yeah, so there are four options this year. Um, there's early in-person voting, which is happening from September 18th to October 31st. Um, check with your local registrar for the, the hours that they offer those, but um, those will take be taking place in Albemarle County at their 5th Street um, office building and then at City Hall's Annex near the downtown mall for Charlottesville. The second option is mail-in slash absentee voting. Um, in the past, you had to provide a reason why you had to vote absentee. You also needed um, a signature of a witness for that vote to count. But this year, they've made a, um, some adjustments given COVID-19 to make it more accessible. So now, if you request it online with, at Virginia, Virginia Department of Elections, um, you don't need a reason. You can just get it, and you don't need a signature of a witness. Um, but if you have a witness, go ahead. The third option is voting in person on November 3rd at your local precincts like it's a regular election year. 
And then the fourth option is you can request your ballot by mail, fill it out, and then when you're ready, drop it off at your local voter registrar. You can go to Albemarle County's registrar office or Charlottesville's registrar office. They also have drop boxes outside, too. Um, So there's a lot of options for getting your vote in this year, whichever one makes you most comfortable or is most able for you to do. It has been advised to vote by mail because it's, you know, safer, obviously less contact. But if you want to vote in person because you want that experience or you want to physically see your vote go through, that is an option. That's what I'm going to do. It'll just make me feel more comfortable doing that um, since I know that there is social distancing and PPE and frequently sanitized surfaces. Yeah, I'm also planning to vote in person. Um, I was talking to my partner about this and we decided we were just going to go on Election Day because... Um, I believe the the in-person voting is open mostly during business hours, but this year, Election Day is a holiday, so we get the day off from work. Yep, so many options. Um, If you are doing mail-in or requesting your ballot by mail and dropping it off, people do urge you to do it as soon as possible. That way, if there are any hiccups, because there's so many more people relying on postal service this year for everything from voting to an increase in online shopping because people are trying to social distance and not go out if they can help it, you know, that could take longer. And then also if there are any errors, you want to be able to fix those and have time to have those fixed. So if you're doing mail-in or you're requesting your ballot by mail and dropping it off, do it as soon as you can. What about registration? When is the registration deadline this year? Yes. So the last day to register to vote is Tuesday, October 13th. So that's right around the corner. Um, The last day to request an absentee ballot to be mailed to you is Friday, October 23rd. The last day to vote in person early is October 31st. And then obviously November 3rd is Election Day. How can you check if you're registered to vote? Virginia Department of Elections, you can go to the Citizen Portal and you'll be able to see your past voting record, like where you voted since you've been registered. You can check to see if you're registered there. You can check on, that's where you can also apply for an absentee ballot to be mailed and make sure that it gets to you. And I believe you can also check and see that they received your absentee mail-in vote or your early in-person vote um, and that it's been counted. What if something goes wrong with my ballot or I show up on election day and they say I can't vote in person? Um, What can people do in that situation? So if you show up and you there's an error in the processing somehow and your name isn't on um, or you isn't on the list or you claim that you never received your ballot by mail, you'll have to do a provisional ballot. So provisional ballots, like they are sometimes the only option you have, like if you don't have your a form of a, a proper form of ID with you or there's all kinds of snafus and hiccups that like just it's not working, then you'll be able to do a provisional ballot, which it will still count. But it will take a little more time for it to count just because your registrar will have to verify your identity. So after you cast your provisional ballot, then you'll they'll follow up with you for you to either come back in or send over a copy of your ID or sign like an affidavit that says that it swears you are who you are and you won't try to vote a, a second time. Provisional ballots are used if they're, that is the best method to vote, but they should be avoided if possible because it just creates more work for your registrar, especially in a year like this year where there are probably more people voting and there's more ways to vote and your registrars are very stressed and very busy. If you have to do provisional, do it. If not, try not to. 
and then another thing is um, I was speaking with registrars uh, recently about um, avoiding and, quote, curing ballot mistakes. So in Charlottesville this week, there were about 50 voting package envelopes that were sent out missing envelope A, which contains the ballot. The Charlottesville Registrar works to fix that quickly. Um, and if you, the voter, receive your voting package and you notice a mistake, it's um, your responsibility to let your registrars know right away so that way they can resend you ballots. But then if you make a mistake, it's on them to catch it. So if you send in your ballot and you didn't put it in envelope B, which is the privacy envelope, they will reach out to you and have you come fix it or send you new materials as soon as possible. I know recently in Pennsylvania, there's been some fears because state law, a new law that passed there in that state now means if you send in, quote, a naked ballot, like your ballot isn't in the privacy envelope, they'll toss it out. Um, But that is not the case in Virginia. Our state legislative body has done everything in its power, especially during this special session, to broaden our ways to vote and make it more accessible um, and have room for fixing mistakes. So um, that previously weren't there in the past. It's really unusual in Virginia to have so many options for voting. How likely is it that in future elections we'll be able to vote early in person and vote by mail without having an approved excuse? That is actually something I am planning to write about between now and Election Day. Um, it's one of many, like, my, I have a list of questions on things that I want to learn about because just there's, it's unprecedented the way that everything is happening this year. Personally, as a voter, as a Virginian, I think that it's interesting. I think it's nice to see that there's so many options and there's a more drawn out voting process because I feel like it creates more opportunity to vote. In the past, when you can only vote on one day a year, sometimes, you know, you don't know what hiccups will happen. Are you going to get the flu that day? Are you going to be stuck in traffic and not get off work in time? You know, so it'll be interesting going forward to see if, is this something we want to try again? Or is this just provisioned for however long COVID lasts? And there's a few states where some of these options have been on the table for years. This is just the way they run elections. Moving on to the content of our ballots, let's start with the proposed constitutional amendment number one. What does this amendment propose? So the first constitutional amendment, it proposes a redistricting commission that would be composed of eight legislators from both House and Senate, both political parties. And then it will be composed of eight citizen appointees who are not appointed by the legislators, but the legislators can recommend. Um, They are ultimately appointed by retired judges from the state of Virginia. So the goal of the redistricting commission is to be as nonpartisan as possible um, in drawing maps using 2020 census data. They would be drawing maps for the state general assembly districts, um, as well as for the congressional districts. So like the reason fifth district looks like a dragon rising out of North Carolina is because it was drawn that way at least a decade ago. So yeah, that's, (laughs) that's what the commission's goal would be. And it in Virginia to get constitutional amendments on the ballot, it has to have originated from the legislator. It has to pass twice before it ends up as a referendum that we, the voters, get to carry to the finish line or say no. There has been growing bipartisan support for it um, over the years, and it's been a long time in the works. However, recently there are some Democratic legislators who are changing their minds and saying, 
they're asking us to please vote against this because they would like to draw the maps for 2020 in 2021. Um, and they promise that they won't gerrymander as has happened in the past because new state law House Bill 1255 and Senate Bill 717 took effect, which ends gerrymandering. And the legislators that are asking us to not vote for the amendment are saying, you know, we promise we won't gerrymander. Let us draw these maps that we will have for the next decade while we try to get a better proposed commission that is exactly what we want, that includes language of this anti-gerrymandering bill, and that doesn't include um, legislators on the redistricting commission. And meanwhile, um, the redistricting commission, some say, is the best path forward for now because it's the closest we've come to fair map drawing and people think that some people say that this is we should do this now. We can fix it later. Um, so it's really up to us to weigh our pros and cons. Just for a little bit of context, can you kind of remind people like how the lines were drawn in 2010? So in the state of Virginia, presently, its legislative body of the General Assembly draws the maps, which the whole reason people want have wanted to create a commission for years is because it just it doesn't seem right that you're drawing the maps that could serve you. And historically, the act of gerrymandering is when maps, district maps are drawn in a way that could favor or disfavor a certain political party. It could lump different groups and demographics of people. Like in, in Virginia, it's been found in recent years that there's been racial gerrymandering where um, minority voters have been funneled into certain districts to, to help or hurt different um, seats in different political parties. Um, there's also prison gerrymandering, which is where incarcerated individuals that are in a prison in a certain district, the census data is includes them to show that like they're living in that district because they're living in the prison in that district, but they don't have the right to vote. And it can skew the numbers in certain districts to be to look like you have more voters than you actually do because these people aren't voters. They can't vote yet. And presumably when they do finish their ser- their serving their time, and they're reintroduced back into society and they want to restore their rights, they may not even be in the same jurisdiction where they were incarcerated in. So it's it's a really unfair practice. And with House Bill 1255 and Senate Bill 717, with those having passed, it ends um, prison gerrymandering, it ends racial gerrymandering, it ends political partisan gerrymandering. So whoever draws the maps, whether it is the commission or it is still legislators in 2021, they are subject to that law. But because that law is not in the state constitution, it could change over in five years or 10 years, depending on how if someone in the General Assembly wanted to and was able to overturn it. All right. What else are we going to see on our ballots? You know, we all probably know there's a presidential election. Um, What other elections are happening this cycle? Yeah, so for us in the state of Virginia, we get to vote for congressional candidates, which I think is super important. It is the legislative body. It is my favorite branch of government. It's where our laws originate for the most part. So we have in the 5th Congressional District, which is the one that I like to say looks like a dragon, it literally starts at the North Carolina border and comes up to Fauquier County, almost basically to Maryland. Um, It is the size of like the state of New Jersey. It is huge. It is probably the hardest seat to represent if whoever wins it because it's just it's so sprawling. It's so big. You have to work harder to stay in touch with your constituents and you're going to have a variety of different concerns and priorities of your constituents, Um, not to mention the political divide of Republicans and Democrats in this district. It's 
been labeled very red for a long time, and now it's grown more purple. So it's kind of a toss-up if Cameron Webb is going to get it or if Bob Good is going to get it. And then Senate, which Senator Mark Warner, a longtime incumbent, and then he's got a couple challengers, um, Republican military veteran Daniel Gade, who made it through the primaries, and then there is a write-in candidate named Almina. So yeah, we've we've got some options. All right. And election day is November 3rd. And that's also the deadline to get your absentee ballots mailed in, right? Yes. If you're mailing in a ballot, it has to be received or postmarked by November 3rd. And this is another reason if you're doing it by mail, do it as soon as you can just to be safe. And then you can go check online and make sure they got it. It's never been so easy to vote. If you haven't voted already and you're still undecided on certain things or you want to double check certain things, Obviously, I'm going to do some self-promotion and plug our voter guide, spend some time on it. I spent an hour with every single candidate. Um, I also have been covering all kinds of questions that you have, I have on how to vote this year. What are the hiccups? What are are you concerned about? Um, I'm still adding to it because I still have questions and I want to be able to give you answers. Also, poke around on the campaign websites of the elected officials or candidates as well. And then really pay attention to especially the first constitutional amendment. It It could go either way. Really weigh your pros and cons, be thorough, and make sure that you know exactly how you feel about it before you cast yes or no on that. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me today. Charlotte Renee Woods is a reporter for Charlottesville Tomorrow. Well, that does it for this week's edition of Soundboard, your source for news, culture, and community issues in Central Virginia. My name's Mary Garner McGee. Our assistant producer this week is Jiho Kim. Our theme song is Kyoja Beat by Moreno Lasco and Jay Pun. This is Soundboard. <laughs>